Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you're here, whether you're in the room or if you're engaging online. I want to highlight a couple of things that are coming up. Uh, The first is a little bit more unclear, but I want to just put it out in front of people. We are planning an outdoor baptism service. Woo! And... The first few times, first time it was in the, the first time it was in the snow, the second time we went to Port Stanley, and the third time we did it in a tank back here, and we loved being part of it, but Lee and I both were going, I think we need to do, like, go find a space that we can use, some sort of body or water, some sort of river, and then let's celebrate after and spend some time as a church family. So uh, we're looking if you have any connections to someone with a safe body of water, I wanted to just do it in one of these bodies of water until we found it had beaver fever in it. And we're like, well, that wouldn't be good. Like, get filled with the Holy Spirit and beaver fever. It's not, not something we wanted. And so we're just kind of looking, but we'd love to find, Port Stanley is about 35 minutes away, and we'd love to find something maybe a little bit closer. And so if you know of anything, let us know, but that's something we're planning on in the summer, and we're really excited about. The other thing is starting the last Sunday of June. So last Sunday of June, last Sunday of July, and the last Sunday of August, we're going to do a bit of a post-church picnic. So we're going to grill some food, bring some stuff, and spend some time hanging out uh, as a church. And so this will give us a chance through the summer to connect and and enjoy the weather. Uh, we're not going to be doing outdoor services because... Uh, when it's 35 degrees and the heat is directly on you and you're running a camera or a pro presenter, it is less than ideal, but we do want to have opportunities to spend some time outside as an extended church family. I want to pray for us, and then I would love for us to, to dig in. God, thank you that you are present. Thank you that you guide us. Thank you that you are speaking. God, I know each one of us comes in with things, and even we have an internal narrative. And sometimes our internal narrative is in opposition to what you want to say. God, would you quiet quiet the the noise and the things that are distracting us or distorting us or, or causing us to not see you? God, may your still, small voice be louder still. God, I pray even as I open up your word and speak that you remind us that your word does not return void, but it's your word. God, may it never be about any one of us. We exist to make it all about people seeing your son, Jesus. And so as, we un- as I unpack this, I pray that you would be the one that speaks, not me. God, I surrender completely to you. God, I need you. We need you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, anyone in here willing to admit that sometimes they're slightly argumentative? Anyone? (laughs) Yeah, slightly argumentative. And maybe for everyone else, like, you ever just find yourself getting sucked into pointless arguments? 
You're like, how did I get into this? And you're like midway through and you just realize this is not going to go the way that I intend it to go. I used to find myself uh, in this place a lot. Um, I, especially in high school, I really enjoyed debating. Like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed taking an intellectual argument and tearing it down. And then, and then confronting all the arguments and going, this is a better way. I used to really, really enjoy it. But it went sideways because I then started to think, and part of it was how I was taught, is like, well, we have to debate our faith. And so what I would do is I would reduce someone to this intellectual midget, like this small little, I would just reduce them, like act like they are nothing and insignificant, and then go, but let me tell you about the love of Jesus. Like, it's a really flawed, messed up, stupid attitude where you're like, I'm going to tell you how you are wrong and stupid, but also Jesus loves you. And so do I, just not right now. Like, whatever those things, and you find yourself debating. And listen, I am not suggesting that we don't have spirited conversations with people who disagree with us. But it's very different when it's a conversation versus a debate or an argument. We've all been in situations where we know, okay, there's some mutual love and we have some grace as we say things. Like, like even right now, I didn't plan to say the word midget and I was like, man, I shouldn't have said that. We have room, we have room to be human beings, right? And to say certain things. And so in, in discussions that we have with each other, it's important that we, that we are able to dialogue around faith and what we believe. But if the goal is just to argue someone and be right, then we miss out. There's a significant difference in conversation between someone who is asking questions, who is curious, who is trying to understand, and someone who simply wants to argue, someone that just wants to be right, someone that their goal is for you to lose and for them to to win. Significant difference than with the conversation where you're, you have someone that's going, I, I, I want to understand, or I don't, I, I push back on that, or I'm trying to reconcile, and I feel some of that tension. This is a conversation, and we all have been in situations where we're talking to someone who is not interested in a conversation. They are interested in being right, and they are interested in making sure that you know that you are wrong, and they are Right, and I want to look at a passage that Jesus is interacting with some people that don't actually want a conversation or don't even want to know the answer. They just want to argue with him. They just want to catch him. They they want to debate some things. They want to trap him in a discussion. In this passage, we find Jesus preaching and teaching about the good news. Now, the other word that maybe you've heard in the church if you've been around is the word gospel. Gospel. The gospel of Jesus. The gospel, that word gospel means good news. And so here we have Jesus teaching about the good news of the kingdom of God to people. And yet he has these religious leaders that just want to catch him and want to stand in opposition. Jesus is speaking and preaching a message of hope and healing. And the religious leaders at the time just want to argue. They just want to get in an argument. And Jesus is a master 
Jesus is a master of these situations where someone says something and then he responds in a way that flips the conversation upside down. I want to look at Luke 20, verse 1 to 8. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he'll ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. And Jesus responded then, I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. This beautiful interaction with these religious leaders and Jesus. And notice in verse 2 how it starts. This, this group of elders and religious leaders, they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? This whole idea, this, they demanded. This is a little bit of a how dare you kind of conversation. How dare you? How dare you respond the way that, they're not really asking by what authority. They're going, how dare you respond in this way? How dare you do what you are doing? You ever have a conversation that starts like that? You know it's not going to end well. I have never had a conversation with someone that starts like that, that I'm like, this is going to be a really hope-filled and restorative conversation. No, you're like, well, here we go. We're about to have one of these kind of conversations. By what authority are you doing all these things? So they're upset. By what authority are you doing all these things? Now, we're working through Luke chapter by chapter. This series is called The Way of Jesus. And if you are interested in engaging more with the stuff that I don't get a chance to hit, we have a journal that's on our website where you can actually work through it chapter by chapter. And part of working through it chapter by chapter is you only have so much time. And so last week I hit a a section of Luke 19, but there's a section of Luke 19 that I couldn't hit. Otherwise we'd be here for forever and no one wants that. And so this week we have Jesus interacting and these religious leaders are going, by what authority do you do these things? Now that should cause us to go, wait a second, what things? What what things are they talking about? So I want to just look back to the previous, what, what happened in the previous few Verses in Luke 19, 45 to 48. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple. Now, even just that, my temple is a dangerous statement. My temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. So this helps us to understand how do we get to this point where they're trying to argue and they've already leveled up before then where they're not just trying to argue, they're upset and they're trying to figure out how they can kill Jesus. Jesus had the attention of the people. He had the the attention of the normal, common people. 
And he stood in opposition to some of these other people that were just trying to hold power in a way that they could domineer others. He stands and he has this attention because he's preaching this message that isn't just for people that are elites, but it is instead for everyone. And he has their complete attention. Everyone is paying attention to what he's saying, and the religious leaders are looking and going, this is not good. How do we get rid of him? Jesus is operating with a prophetic voice. Now, part of the role of a prophetic voice is to identify where there's a distance between what God wants and what people are doing. And to look at it and go, okay, this is not measuring up to what God wants to do. We need to turn back to him. This is a component of part of how God has wired me. And it used to drive me nuts because I'd look at things and I'd go, but this is wrong and we need to make it right. And if in moments, in, especially in moments of pride or arrogance, I'm like, I, I know the answers. But increasingly you look at things and you go, this doesn't line up. And Jesus is looking at the temple and going, this is not what it's supposed to be. I have moments of that when I look at the predominantly mainline and declining churches. Like I think about at one point, all these churches were planted and started to, to care for people and reach their communities, and they were passionate, like so passionate that you have all these mainline denominations that have so much real estate, they don't even know what to do with it, because they were going, we need to be in this area. I met with one this week, and they they planted a church because they went, this is going to be a community where veterans are going to live, and so we need to reach them. But then there's this disconnect more and more where you just see that loss of mission. And I look at that and go, this is not what the church was supposed to be, where you're more concerned about protecting and just kind of existing than you are about advancing and going. And so Jesus is looking at the temple and he's going, this is not what it's supposed to be. And so I think about in my own life, those areas where you see that things are disconnected. And I think I have a little bit of authority in church circles as a pastor. But it is nothing, nothing compared to the kind of authority that Jesus has. And the kind of authority that Jesus is walking as as he looks at the temple and going, listen, this was supposed to be a place of prayer and now it is a den of thieves. Like this is not what it is supposed to be. B, he doesn't just go to the temple as a man. He doesn't go to the temple as a prophetic voice. He goes to the temple as the son of God, as the third member of the Trinity. God himself in the flesh incarnated goes into the temple to call out the things that are wrong. And the leading priests and the leaders, not happy about it. Not excited about that. They're not looking going, man, we need to do what God is asking us to do. They're like, how dare he let's kill him. And then they're like, well, there's a problem. How do we kill him? The people seem to really like him. Like the people are hanging on every single word he said. And it's this reminder for us, because some of us have this picture of Jesus, like nice guy Jesus. He's just, a, he's just such a nice guy. You go, how many nice guys do you know of that are plotted to be murdered. Not many. It's usually people that are trying to lead a movement. It's usually people that are increasingly trying to change something. Jesus was increasingly becoming adversarial to the religious leaders at the time and controversial because he was representing something different. His his way of living was an alternative to the man-made systems of religion that existed. 
Because what had happened in the Jewish people is they had taken all these things that God had given them, and then they had added, 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 and then they had made it about a few select people and really about appearing to be good rather than actually being who God wanted them to be. And Jesus comes to upend all of that and goes, this is not how it is supposed to be. And so all of that brings us to where he's back in the temple and he's speaking words of life to people and the religious leaders begin to grill him. What authority you have to do these things. Like you're doing all what you, that you're doing. What authority do you have? And Jesus does something that he often does. It's one of my favorite things about Jesus. If you notice this, if you read his words, Jesus often answers a question with another question. He goes, no problem. You want to ask that? And then he asks a different question. And so he says, let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Now he's putting, he's putting the religious leaders in a precarious position here. He's asking a question that, that puts them in a position that they do not want to be in because these religious leaders really cared about what people thought. They, they really cared about how they were perceived by people. And I don't know if you've paid attention, but, but we see this certainly in politics. Regardless of where you go, we see what people do is they, f- they float things to see people's reactions. They're like, we were thinking about trying this. And then they see, and if people are like, no, riots, like we hate this. And they go, no, that wasn't our idea. That was someone else. It wasn't us. And then if it's something that they try and someone's like, no one says anything, they're like, okay. And then they go, let's push it a little bit further. This is certainly what we would see in the religious leaders of the time. They're like, let's see how people respond to this. We want to kill Jesus. Oh, they don't like that? Maybe we shouldn't do that. How do we do something different? They are, they are beholden to the appearance that they have before people. That they're looking at people, and though they are the ones that seem to have power, the people don't understand that they hold significant power. And so he's, he's we, we find even in this, this tendency to have an unhealthy kind of human relationship with what we're supposed to do where we go, okay, I know I'm supposed to do what God wants me to do, but let me see how people respond and determine, am I going to get pushback? Because uh, I don't want pushback. I like to live comfortably. And instead, the invitation to go, is that really the way of living? These leaders were not concerned about what God wanted. They were 100% concerned with their appearance. And so Jesus asked them about, asked them about John. And, and for those of us that are not super familiar, when He's talking about John when he's asking by what authority did John baptize. He's speaking about John the Baptist. And so if you grew up in the church, maybe you remember because he's the guy that you hear. He's like eating grasshoppers and wearing furs and seems like a weirdo. And you're like, wow, this guy. And, but but if, if you're not familiar, John the Baptist was this guy in, who lived in the wilderness, who was a voice shouting in the wilderness, and he was declaring the Messiah is coming. The Savior of the world is coming. And in that, he's making a way for who we learn to be Jesus. And he's baptizing people. And he's saying, listen, I am baptizing people, but, but the Messiah is coming who will baptize people in a completely different way. And he's out and he's baptizing many, many, many people. And Jesus comes along. And he has been predicting and saying the Messiah is coming. And Jesus comes face to face and he goes, this is him. 
He is the Messiah. He is the one we have been waiting for. He is the promised one. He is here. And through some interactions, Jesus says, will you baptize me? And he does. And it is significant. And so Jesus, or Jesus brilliantly responds to the question that the religious leaders are asking, where they're saying, by whose authority do you do the things that you do? And he asks the question, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? This is what we call an oh crap moment. This is when the, the leaders are like, oh crap, how do we get around this? And so you see, like you see in the text where they talked it over among themselves. They were fully going like, uh, so I don't know how we do this. And they're like doing the like E equals MC squared, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Uh, I, I, I can't figure out a way that we can somehow save face in this. Like, this is a, a really challenging response. Because if we say it was from heaven, he'll ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us. Because they're convinced John was, the bap- John was a prophet. And so John had been baptizing many people, and people believed that he was a prophet sent by God. This is where the problem lies. Because if Jesus was sent by God, or if John was sent by God, John was saying Jesus was the Messiah. So to the question of where does your authority come from comes directly from God. He is the Messiah. And if, God, if, if John wasn't sent by God, what's the concern? They're going to get stoned. <laughs> like it's like kind of a lose-lose situation for them. They're doing all of the mental math, and they're realizing that with his moves, Jesus has just checkmated them. And then we see the response that I think is so hilarious, where they say, so they finally replied, they didn't know. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) And I just imagine this, like, we don't know, and then the slowly backing away. (laughs) We shouldn't have come, we shouldn't have asked, (laughs) we should just avoid all of that. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus does something so brilliant here. This is what he does time and time again. He does it all through scripture and he does it to us today. Is he looks beyond the thing on the surface. So they had a question they were asking. He looks past that and he goes directly to the heart. He goes directly to the heart that is asking the question or the things that the person is wrestling with to begin with. He sidesteps the thing that seems to be the important thing, and he goes to the thing that actually is central in importance. And their response, the religious leaders show that their concern was more about winning an argument than it was about actually discovering the truth. They didn't really want to know whose authority Jesus was doing, what he was doing. Instead, what they wanted to do is is stop what Jesus had doing and stop it. And they wanted to just argue and win that argument in hopes that maybe they could shift public perception and then take him down. And even when you think about this, this group of people that are more concerned about winning an argument than actually discovering truth, and this is one of the other areas or one of the areas and ways that the Bible speaks to us today. Because you go, that's still true in 2022. We are around people that are more concerned about yelling at others and winning an argument than they are about actually discovering what is true. 
And especially when it comes to faith, they can be more interested in arguing all sorts of things instead of the personification of truth, and his name is Jesus. We find this dynamic. This is a human dynamic where people that are unhealthy go, I just want to win the argument. I just want you to be wrong. I want you to lose, and I want to win, rather than actually wanting the answer to their question that leads to truth. No amount of arguing from Jesus could have convinced them. So why bother? Jesus could not have argued them into understanding that he was the Messiah, and so he understood this is not a valuable use of my energy. This group of people simply wanted to make excuses, excuses for their disobedience and excuses for their unbelief. We don't believe that you're the Messiah. We don't want to do what you're asking us to do, and so we'd rather blame all sorts of other things until you come face-to-face with the Messiah, the Savior of the world, And then you go, I don't know how to answer that. We find this in this group of people. And it teaches us a a couple of things. One, it teaches us that there are two different kinds of people that we'll come into contact with on a regular basis. People that are sincere in their seeking and people that are insincere who are seeking a fight. Because there are sincere people who are seeking, that are going, I, I want to understand this. I don't, I don't get it. And they're honestly asking, by what authority does Jesus do what he does? Is Jesus really the son of God? Is this actually what you believe? There are people that want to do that. We had a guy on social media that he posted on multiple videos. Do you actually believe Jesus is the son of God? And short answer, Yes. He's like, do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. And then I sent him a message directly. I don't, I don't typically go on, but I saw it, and I, was like, and I was like, we'd love to talk. But he didn't want to talk. He just posted another video going, do you really believe Jesus? I answered that question. He doesn't really want to know what do we believe. And I said, listen, I would love to tell you why we believe that. There are people that are sincere seekers, and then there are people that are insincere, and they just are seeking a fight. And there are people that are around us, each of us, all the time that actually want to know, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you do a co-group? Why would you cheer and celebrate about dunking some people in a moving body of water? Right? Like there's questions that people are going, help me to understand. And for those people, that is so significant. That we are invited into moments where you have people that are sincerely trying to, trying to understand. And I know that with people like that, sometimes it's slow. Like sometimes we want to have one conversation and then that's it and everything just falls into place. You ever struggle with that? Where you're like, I told you some things about Jesus. You should just get it. But people are often slow and we want that because they're wrestling with some of the things that we're saying. But there's sincerity behind that. And in contrast, there's some people that it wouldn't matter what you say or how you answer questions. They don't really want to know. They're not really that interested in what you are trying to say. Well, why? Part of that is because it confronts their way of living. You think about these religious leaders. If Jesus is actually the Messiah, everything that they're doing changes. All the comfort they have, lots of the power that they have, Lots of the influence they have begins to change. 
And they go, I don't want to pay the price. I would rather stay where I am. And that's as true today as it, as it was then. That people go, I don't want to change my life. Okay, I know, yes. If God is real, he asks things of me. And I don't know I want, that I want to do those things. And so I'd rather attack people or try to have arguments with people than actually discover, are there areas in my life that I know aren't working and I need to change? And you go, but I don't want to change them. That there is this disconnect in people. Jesus had tons and tons and tons of time for sincere seekers, for people that are sincere in their pursuit of going, I just want to understand, I want to know who are you and what does this mean? He had tons of time and he had limited time for people that were insincere and just wanted to to pick an argument. I think that's an important distinction for those of us who would call ourselves Christians. We should have lots of time for people that honestly want to understand. If people are asking us and we're like, sorry, my life's so busy right now, just really busy. Uh, I think that's a fail. Because <laughs> I think God's going, um, you, get to be, you get to be God with hands and feet, skin on in front of these people. They're asking. Like they actually want to understand. Help me to know, why do you think like this? Or why do you believe this? And those people we should carve out time for. When someone's like, hey, can we talk? Can we connect? Can, can, you, help me to expl- or can you help me to understand the post that you put on Instagram? Or can you help me to understand why you have peace even though your life seems to be falling apart? All those things, I'm like, yeah, yes, your answer should always be yes. I will make time for that. But people that just want to fight, and, and let's be honest, the internet can be a cesspool for this, where it's like just people depersonalizing, screaming at each other, like, I don't see the value of this. Like, I struggle with going, I, I, I don't know, what, what does this get? I, I think from a spiritual perspective, there's not a ton in having those kind of discussions with people. Because I just don't believe, and maybe some of it is lived experience, that we can debate someone into believing who Jesus is. I believe we can be an example and we can invite them, absolutely. But like Jesus, we can look at people that don't actually want to know and we can, we can know that God is working, we do our part, and we trust him with the rest. And the center of this entire passage is around authority. Right? They're asking, by what authority? By what authority do you do the things that you're doing? And authority is a really interesting thing, certainly in 2022. We live in what is called a postmodern culture. So there used to be this season of modernity, and postmodern is like there's no truth, it's all relative, and we see that all around us and things. And one of the pieces about this postmodern culture is that it is hyper-individualistic. That is, it is very much about the individual, me, 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 me. And so when it comes to authority, it's an interesting one because in this hyper-individualistic postmodern culture, who's the authority? Everyone. Everyone is the authority. You are the authority for you and also some other people you disagree with. I am the authority for me and also some other people I disagree with. And we are each the authority in our life. It's not working. Like it's a really flawed system. And you know what we notice? I think it's similar to what we see even in, in the, the early church that Jesus is looking at, or the, not the early church, the Jewish temple and some of the disconnect. We find that, that the authority then becomes the loudest voice. Have you ever noticed that? 
And suddenly it's these loud people that speak with confidence, but they're not really saying anything of value. Or they're saying stuff that you're like, I don't think that's right. But they're really loud, so you're like, I don't know, maybe people really respect them. Like maybe they have a lot of followers, or they have a huge, a huge pocket of people on YouTube, or, or they, they get to be on shows, and you're like, wow, maybe they have some authority. And so often we have the loudest people with authority and the least to say, like the least value to bring. I mean, you hop on social media and you see it. You see these loud, loud voices and people that speak in a way that you're listening to going, I don't know if that lines up with what God says, but maybe that's what everyone thinks. And then we sit and go, do I really want to be different than everyone else? Do I really want to do something and live my life in a way that is difficult because everyone else is going in this way? And so we feel this pressure to just kind of cater to and do what everyone else is saying that we should do. And I want to just remind you that this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of life that Jesus invites us into. As Christians, we have, there is authority for us. We have an authority. This is our authority. This is the Bible. This is scripture. And you know what's amazing is that this authority, the same authority that Jesus sits under, is also pointing, all, all of it is pointing us to Jesus. All of this, the entire book, if you look at the Old Testament, it points to humanity's desperate need for a savior because they're given a system, just do the right thing. And you know how that works out? Not well. They don't do the right thing. And they continually fall away and turn away and continually God reminds them that I have more for you and they go, nah, we'll take it from here. And so in the New Testament, we find Jesus who comes to restore that and not just make more man-centered religious systems, but instead a God-centered relational driven faith. And so we see that through here. But this is our authority. Our life, when we surrender to Jesus and say, I want to follow the way of Jesus, I want to give my life to Jesus, we look at the Bible not as an instruction manual, but as an indicator and reminder of who God is and how he's inviting us to live. And we look at the Bible and we go, okay, he says this. I was having this conversation with the prayer team where you could go to all sorts of things and there are some controversial things and there are some things you're like, I don't know how to do that. Can we just even be honest and go, even things like when Jesus talks about forgiving 70 times seven times, and I was like, screw that. Like, does anyone want to, does anyone want to love their enemy? Anyone in here going like, you know what I love? Finding someone that hates me and loving them. No, that's hard. And yet, it's precisely what he did and what he invites us into. And as we continue to live like that and we go, okay, I want your way of life in every area of my life, then we experience life as it was supposed to be. This is the invitation for us. This is the authority that we have. And one of our problems for those of us in 2022, and I think it's been a problem, but it's especially a problem right now, is um, we watch way too much HGTV, and so we want to DIY faith. I'm like, I love HGTV. When we got married, Lee and I on our honeymoon, we watch a lot of HGTV. We're just like, 
because we didn't have cable, so we're like, yes, shows about houses and, and liked it. But it's created this environment where you go, okay, I can, I can take ownership of my house and I can do all sorts of things, but we've ported that into our faith where we go, so um, I'm going to take a little bit of this. I like that. Uh, this other thing, I don't like that. I, d- I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Uh, this other part, I'm like, I kind of like that. And, and we take and pick and choose the things in here and the things that Jesus says specifically. And we go, um, I like when Jesus says this stuff, but I don't really like when Jesus says the other stuff. That is not how this works. This is not the way of Jesus. That's why it's been important even in this series of, of reminding us that this is a way of life. This is not a DIY where we add and pick and choose a few things and go, you know what, I like, I like some of the Jesus stuff, but I like some of the other like New Age stuff, and I like some of the other just willing things into existence stuff. And, and you're like, my life, and, and what happens inevitably when we do that is that we hit a point where it doesn't work. And so if we labor under the illusion that the goal of God is to make our lives easy and simple, when we hit a, to- a point that it is not easy and not simple and it is hard, we go, clearly God's not real. And what we don't understand is that that's actually an evidence that the other things that we built on top of God aren't real. Because we go, God's job is to make me healthy and wealthy and happy. And you, if you actually read this, where do you find that? Like most of the people that followed Jesus, they lost their lives. It cost them everything. Most of the people that did exactly what God asked them to do, it was not all just sunshine and roses. And so for us to go back continually to going, what is my authority? What does it look like to live the kind of life that Jesus has died for and invited me into? And I've talked about the before the disconnect between what we say and what we do. And I was listening to something where Dallas Willard was speaking about the disconnect between belief and obedience. And so we can believe even some of the things that are right and yet not live like it matters. And so we can say that we believe things and not actually have it change our life in any single way. And I was struck by this idea that we want the comfort of belief. We want the comfort of knowing that we're good without the confrontation of behavior, the confrontation of obedience. We want the comfort of, I know that things are good without the reality of Jesus saying, now it's time for your life to look different. In previous generations, this was, I just want a ticket to heaven. I just want to avoid hell. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll be a Christian to avoid hell and go to heaven. But it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter at all. I'm just waiting, waiting for glory. Well, what is it like in our generation? It's like, um, it doesn't really matter how you live. It just matters what you tell other people you think. It matters how you appear. It doesn't matter that your life is actually being transformed in an ongoing way and there are things that confront and challenge. It just matters that you say the right things to the right people and they know, okay, they're good. And you say, this, you say certain things and you avoid certain parts that are difficult because that at least keeps me. And so it's this disconnect again between belief and so we go, I want to know I'm a Christian. And some of it is that cultural Christianity. I go to church. What difference does it make in your life? Well, very little. And that, that area, that's just that way of living is dying and it needs to. Because as Christians, we are not just a a group of people. We are a counterculture to the world. 
And that's not to somehow present the world like everything in the world is bad and now we can't watch movies or play card games or whatever. It's just identifying that there are so many distortions and God is inviting us to live differently. There's a pastor in New York City named John Tyson and he, uh, he talks about something called counterformation. If you look at how much time you have in your week, you have how many, it was like 168 hours in your week. I don't know if that's exactly true, James, you can, but, but you have a, a, a lot of hours and we spend maybe one or two at church. And maybe we spend one or two reading our Bible. Maybe we spend a little bit connecting or praying. But what we're not understanding is all the other voices that we're hearing are forming us and shaping us. And because we have this idea that authority is kind of whoever is loudest and not constantly going back and going, is that what Jesus says? We don't realize how it is forming us in a, in a, in a harmful way. And so part of the role, and I felt this as a pastor, is going, how do we counterform people? How do we identify the places that do not line up with the way of Jesus and give an alternative and say, this is not the way of Jesus? What does it look like for us to be doing that as a group of people? Because the lie is, I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want. As long as I get the results that I want, then I'm good. But that is not the way that Jesus invites us into. And so we're, we're faced with the decision. Am I in charge or is God in charge? Am I the one who is in control of everything? Is it like the world where I am sovereign as myself? I am the authority? Or do you look and go, this doesn't seem to be working. I'm reading a book that speaks about anxiety through the lens of what's happening in the church and outside of the church. And, and it talks a lot about how we are so anxious because we don't know who we are. And we're constantly looking to other human beings who are imperfect going, tell me I'm enough. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm this. And the God of the universe, God himself, the creator of the universe, is looking at us saying, let me tell you who you are. Let me give you life. We sang did we, did we sing firm foundation? No, we're singing it after. So this firm foundation in going, I know who God says I am. And so everyone else's opinions on all sorts of things, they just don't matter because I know who God says that I am. We live as non-anxious people in the midst of anxious people because we know who we are. Our authority is not in us. When our authority is in us, then we are constantly wondering, did I get it right? Did I do it? Did I do enough? Am I enough? Am I this? Did enough people tell me I'm good enough? And when our authority is in Jesus, he looks at us and he says, I love you, my son and my daughter. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we live out of that identity. Human beings do not get to, to look and define, on, define what is good and what is not good. We've been doing that since the garden, since Genesis 3, redefining good and evil according to our standards. And God looks at us and says, I have a better way. Our authority is found in God through Jesus and in the scripture. And the world will try to sell us a man-centered faith, a man-centered religion where humanity is the central authority and Jesus is inviting into the way of Jesus where God is at the center of our faith and it changes everything about how we live. God is the authority of our lives. And can I be honest? This is confrontational. 
in the same way that Jesus was increasingly confrontational with the religious leaders, that if we actually read what Jesus says and read the words in Scripture, it will confront things in us because it will remind us that God does not function like we do. And God is not concerned about trying to fit into our little box. That God's ways are different than our ways. His, his views of money, success, priorities, sexuality, forgiveness, love, sacrifice, humility, and beyond are all different than what we hear so often around us. And the truth is, if we're willing to be really honest, that so often the things that he invites us to do are not what we'd naturally choose. And they create this tension where you go, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to be a generous person that gives my money. I don't know if I want to live a humble life. I kind of like pride. And so we're faced with this tension. We don't get to do DIY. We surrender to Jesus. For those of us that have given our life to Jesus, we surrender to all of him. And over time, we give more and more and we close the gap between what we believe and how we live. And we continually say, let your will be done. In every single area, there's nothing off topic. There's nothing off limits. You can do everything that you want to do. I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I'm willing to confront what you want me to confront. I am yours. And you might even be wondering, okay, so if you've been around for the series, like I've been hammering some of these things, and you're like, wow, what's the point of that? There are past rhythms of revival where there is new life in the church. And as a result of that, many, 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 some of the millions of people come to faith because there is revival, there is life from things that are dead and that have happened. And one of the key components of that has been before a church or a movement can reach more people, God has to get a hold of them. God has to establish this degree of holiness for them where they're like, I'm unwilling to live the life that I've lived. I want you and only you. And the crazy and amazing thing is that when the church does that and goes, God, I want you and only you. I want to follow your way. He ignites something in people and he brings people to faith. Before corporate renewal can happen, it has to be personal. And we have to live that out. There's too much at stake for us. And as a church, I want us to be those kind of people that look different than the world. That look different for the best reasons, because we represent Jesus. And so if you're in the room or if you're engaging online... We're going we're gonna to sing a song called Firm Foundation, this reminder that that is what our firm, our firm foundation is God. Our, our security and authority is in God. But I want to challenge you to reflect on three different things. The first is, am I actually allowing Jesus to be the authority of my life? Because what happens is you can start with behavior, and you can go, I'm just going to live differently, do more, but it's not actually the way that we start. We just go, am I willing to actually let Jesus be my authority? Maybe for the, for the first time that you go, I've never actually surrendered to his way of life. Or maybe it's for the first time in a while that you've gone, I've, I've been doing a DIY just myself and I need you. And then the second thing to reflect on is, what are the areas in my life that surrendering to his authority is hard? What are the areas that I go, I'm struggling with that because I know that I'm supposed to trust you, but I'm struggling. And then where is the area that Jesus is pushing me on something that I don't like? Because inevitably, if there's some things that you go, okay, I want this, the Bible says this, we can assume, and it's different, we can assume the Bible is right and we are wrong. 
But to be honest about that, to be honest about where it's been a struggle for us. Have I actually surrendered my authority and given him the authority? Is there some areas where it's been really difficult? And are there some areas where I'm really struggling to believe that he is trustworthy? And to not just stay there and go like, well, that sucks, but to actually bring it into community and people around us. Let's be the kind of people that are actually willing to confront the things in our hearts that need to be confronted so that we can grow. We want to be the kind of people that choose growth over comfort. And so my encouragement to you as we respond in worship and as you go about your week is not to stay where you are and go, well, that's just how I am. But instead, again, to go, Jesus, your will. God, your will. Your will be done. I want what you want. I want to live your way of living. And I'm willing to lay down my my preferences and my thoughts for what you have for me, the way of Jesus in every single area of our life. I want to encourage you, would you stand up and let's pray and then we'll worship and be reminded of the firm foundation that we have. God, I am so grateful that you sent your son to live for us, to live a perfect life, and then to die on that cross and raise again to restore the relationship that we could never restore by by trying to do more and more and more. God, I think about the moments that you stood as, as Jesus stood in front of the religious leaders and they confronted him and he sidestepped and how that speaks still to us today. God, give us eyes to see people around us that are sincere and they're searching. Give us the courage to live the life that you're asking us to live. Help us not to settle for less. Help us not to just be consumer Christians or cultural Christians, but instead followers of the way of Jesus in every single area, searching and seeking for what you want and knowing that we change our lives not to earn your love, but because of how deeply you love us, we don't want to stay the same. God, as we sing this song and we are reminded of you as our firm foundation, speak that truth over us. God, in the midst of challenge and stress and unsettled environments and even a culture that is increasingly, ant- that, that is against some of what we would believe as Christians, we are reminded that that is precisely the environment where you allow your church to thrive the most. God, we need you and we trust you. We love you. God, we give you this time. Pray all these things in your name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.